Hello, my name is Tanai and I'm a women's intimacy and empowerment coach. For years, I tried to heal what I thought was commitment phobia and I realized that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is an opportunity to have conversations about what gets in the way of us creating real intimacy and how can we have more deep and vulnerable connections in our relationships. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everybody. For this episode today, I'm going to be speaking to my friend Brie Rubin about something called human design, which is a type of personality test similar to getting an astrology reading, but at the same time, not similar at all. So I would suggest that you pause this episode if you don't know what your human design is and you go to Google and you type human design test and find out what your human design is. There's a website called Jovian Archive. Click on that one. You're going to need the time of your birth and I'm, I think maybe the location. And then you'll find your test. And that way, when you hear Brie talk about certain things, you know what she is referring to. And also, I highly recommend working with Brie if you like what you hear today so that you can get a more personalized reading of your human design chart. Because... As you'll see when you get your chart, there's just a whole bunch of things that you're not gonna understand, and it's super helpful to work with someone that helps you read it. So, hope that was helpful, and enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. I'm here with my friend Brie Rubin today. Brie is, how would you say, like a human design reader, a human design? Yeah, human design specialist. Sounds good. Beautiful. Human design specialist. And she's also an artist, a yoga teacher, uh, a coach. So she's definitely one that has many talents. And I'm really excited to have a conversation with her today about human design and how it plays into love and relationships. So many people know their human design. And this is, yeah, just such a beautiful opportunity to have a very specific look into this world of human design that can be, at least for me, very confusing to understand until I hear someone talk about it. So very excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So how did you get into human design? What is it? What do you love about it? So how I got into human design, basically somebody told me about it. I saw my chart and I was just immediately fascinated and hooked. And from then on, it was all I could really focus on. Um, So it just took me. So what human design is, essentially it is a map of your energetic nature. So when you look at your human design chart, you see your true self. So you see who you are here to be and you see your gifts, your strengths, your talents, you see what is reliable and consistent about you. And then you also see a map of where you are the most vulnerable to being conditioned by the outside world. So using this as a map, you can really get back to your true nature. So it's all about getting out of the mind and into the body so that you can move through this world as the most authentic version of yourself. I love that. Then you kind of have a framework for yourself of, oh, I I feel myself doing this. That's outside of my true nature. and, And this is what I can work on for myself. Yeah. When you see your chart, it gives you what's called a strategy and authority. So these are practical tools that you can use when you're getting lost in your mind to really anchor in your knowing in that 
part of you that knows what's correct, regardless of any external input. And it'll also show you the certain themes that might take you off track. So the certain themes and what your mind might try to say to distract you from what your body actually wants to do. Wow. That's amazing. Like, yeah, it's like you could spend your entire life figuring out what, like what to believe in, in your brain and what not to. And this is giving you a very clear, yeah, just a very clear framework. Don't trust your brain when it's saying this. Yeah. (laughs) And I love that, that you mentioned that right from the beginning, you were just obsessed with it because that's what I so clearly see in how you talk about this work. It's something that you're so passionate about. Yeah. How is it different than just like a birth chart reading, like an astrology reading? So I've heard it described as astrology on steroids. So it's kind of like that. But at least for me, I find it to be more practical and less abstract. Obviously, there are kind of more contemplative components and you can go really deep into that element of things. But human design is all about strategy and authority. So whereas astrology can kind of take you more into the mind and contemplating human design just roots you in your body right now and says, you don't have to figure this out. You don't have to understand any of this. You just have to notice the cues that your body's sending you and allow life to make decisions through you and trust that it'll turn out the way it's meant to. Mm, wow. I'm just like, as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking about my own and I'll have you explain what the HR, but I'm thinking about my own. And yeah, I, I that, that's fully what it did for me to trust the messages in my body and just let go of, of the false sense of control and just, yeah, surrender, surrender, let go of the plans that I thought I needed, let go of the control that I thought I needed and just flow. Yeah. That's the keyword surrender. Mm. All right. So tell us what are the types that are found in human design? So there are four types And the first type, which is the largest category, is generators and manifesting generators. Um, And this can be kind of controversial, but essentially the reason why they are categorized as one type is because they both have the same generator aura, which is magnetic. It's open, it's enveloping, it's drawing life towards you. So if you are a generator or a manifesting generator, you are here to respond. So everything you need in life in order to fulfill your purpose will naturally be attracted to you. And all you have to do is get really, really good at noticing how you're responding to life, honoring when you're truly a yes to something and when you're a no to something, because when you say yes to what you're truly a yes to, then you get into this really juicy frequency of satisfaction that attracts even more to you. So generators are the builders of the world. It's all about understanding yourself and learning how to use your energy in the way that feels best for you. Stop trying to figure it out and make things happen and just trust in your magnetism, let life come to you and really honor your responses, even if it makes no sense. So that's the first type generators and manifesting generators. And then the second type is projectors, which is 20% of the population. And these are people who, unlike generators, do not have this consistent energy. So they're not really meant to be the doers of the world they're meant to guide the energy of others. So they're really gifted at studying and mastering systems and using that to help others use their energy more effectively. So as a projector, your strategy is to wait for the invitation and wait for recognition. And basically what this means, it can be really hard to do that when it 
comes to just regular day-to-day -day life, it doesn't mean wait for the invitation on those mundane decisions like, oh, I can't eat lunch because nobody's invited me. But what it really means is that projectors have this awareness that other people don't. They see things that other people don't. They are very deeply focused on others. And that can be a really incredible thing if it's been invited. But it can almost be very unwelcome to have a projector trying to give you their guidance if you haven't invited that kind of intensity of focus, that penetrating awareness that they have where they're really seeing into you. Um, so that's projectors. And the third type is manifestors. So manifestors are around 9% of the population. I'm a manifester. And we're also not generators, so not really the ones who are here to do all the doing. But the role of the manifester is to really initiate things and get the ball rolling. So manifestors tend to be kind of wild and rebellious by nature because we are the only type that is actually here to initiate action. And because of that, we can be extremely unpredictable, um, which can put other people on edge sometimes. So the strategy for the manifester is learning how to inform before taking action to really think about our impact because the manifestor aura has impact. The manifestor walks into the room and it's just felt mechanically. The manifestor walks out of the room and it kind of feels like a vacuum. So even when you think you don't need to inform, noticing that your behavior has impact and allowing people to know what you're up to will just eliminate resistance so that you can be at peace in your life. And then the last type, which is only 1% of the population are reflectors. And reflectors are kind of mystical beings. If you look at a reflector chart, every single center is open. So whereas with all the other types, there's this juxtaposition between definition and openness. You look at a chart, you have some of the centers colored in, some of them are open. The ones that are colored in is your true self. The openness is where you're vulnerable to conditioning. For reflectors, their conditioning, they actually don't really have conditioning that sticks to them in the same way. Their conditioning is to want to be conditioned when actually their true nature is to just be completely surrendered to being such an open being who feels different in every moment, in every environment. And it's a totally different orientation to the world. So for a reflector, place is the key to a reflector's happiness. And when you're in the right place, things tend to fall into alignment from there. But they're strategy and their authority in life is to wait an entire lunar cycle before making any significant decisions. So they're quite unique. Mm, I have a friend who's a reflector and she helped out at the retreat that I just led and she'd be in a room full of people like going through really emotional processes and she'd have to leave the room frequently because yeah, she was, it's like, she could feel it all. She was taking on things that weren't hers and she was, yeah, it was, it was interesting to watch her get so affected by her, by the environment. Totally. And it's really brilliant with reflectors to, if you have a reflector in a group, really pay attention to how the reflector is doing because they are reflecting back how the group is doing. So reflectors are really meant to be at the center of communities and just having a reflector present in any group process makes that process go by more smoothly. Very interesting. Very definitely mystical being S. Yeah. All right, so I want to get back to the types in a little bit, but first I wanted to I wanted to really tie in human design with the title of this podcast, Commitment Phobe, because when I had my first reading done, oh my gosh, it was so helpful for me to know that I'm a manifesting generator 
in relation to commitment phobia. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, like I, in this podcast, I talk a lot about how commitment phobia isn't really real. It's just like a label that we put on several things like fear of intimacy and yeah, like maybe having shorter interest in relationships. It's just like all these things that it's like, you're just running away and, and it may not be that. So I'd love for you to explain the human design perspective on those things that we label commitment phobia. Totally. Yeah. So there are lots of different things that could be going on in a chart that might lead to somebody getting labeled as a commitment phobe. And a lot of them, it is just mechanics. There's nothing wrong with it. So it, it all really depends. There are so many different factors that come into it. But for instance, there are certain people who, let's say you have certain definition in your design that makes it so that you really crave lots of different experiences with lots of different people. That is a quality that some people have that some people don't have as much. Um, And also there are certain characteristics. So I know you, you're a third line. And the theme of that is bonds made and broken. So people who have this third line, it's a natural theme of you don't necessarily want to be just around the same people all the time, even if you love them, you need to take some time apart to either break the bond and step away from it for a bit or come back to it sooner. But there is just this theme of constantly making and breaking bonds. There are also different types. So split definitions tend to be more relationship oriented and single definitions. I think you're a single definition by nature, you're more independent. So there are things that you can see in a design where you can see oh, this person is a very tribal split definition. It seems like they would do very well in a like more conventional partnership. And then you could see, oh, this person is a triple split. People who have three separate islands of their design that aren't consistently connected to each other tend to need a lot more diversity of people and places in their life. So they're most likely to be polyamorous. It doesn't mean that they necessarily will be, but more so than the other definitions. I see this in them. So like, let's say somebody's a triple split definition and they have a lot of collective circuitry, which is all about experiences, lots of different experiences with lots of different people versus this tribal, which is all about like sticky support, cozy bargain. So people have different natural inclinations and then there are different kind of condition themes that can lead to that. So for instance, the open emotional center, which you have, the open emotional center can want to avoid truth and confrontation. So there can be this quality of, oh, actually I might want this commitment, but the confrontation and the truth is too scary. So with that open emotional center, that's something that you kind of gain this wisdom on over time and work through. Um, And also just with the open ego center, not everybody's designed to make promises. So only 30% of the population has this defined ego, has this consistent will to make promises. So it could be, I know people who have an open ego center. It's not their nature to promise things that in their wedding vows, they never said, we promise we'll be together forever. They say like, we will be together as long as this feels aligned. So there are so many different factors that could play into it, but human design really does give permission and help you connect to what's truly right for you, knowing that it could be different for different people. Yeah, that's like the radical but amazing thing in in human design, right? Like I love that as you went through all of these, it just sounded so as a matter of fact, you know, it just sounded like, yeah, like you just might not be the type of person who who can make promises or you're just the kind of person who needs to break bonds and create them again. And it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. 
because we are permission giving. <laughs> right. Like we are given messages all our lives that are telling us this is the certain way that you have to be. And and like with commitment phobia, it's like if you can't be in a relationship for longer than this, then there's something wrong with you. Then you need to be healed. And for me, the messages that I was getting at the at the beginning of my journey was once a commitment phobe, always a commitment phobe. Don't trust them. Don't date them. It's It was so black and white. Yeah, it's not actually so black and white. And it can also be once you start to understand the mechanics, you can accept people for who they are and have a more realistic idea of what you can and cannot expect from them. Like for instance, manifestors tend to be notorious for needing a ton of freedom. So somebody told me about manifestors once. It's like that saying, if you want to keep your goats, keep them in a field so big they can't see the fence. And it's like that with manifestors in relationships. So just knowing, oh, this person naturally needs a ton of freedom in order for this relationship to work. And if you're trying to control a manifestor in relationship or there are other things in a chart that might point to this deep need for freedom, certain ego gates or having an open G center. So an open identity center. These are people who tend to need more freedom to explore their identity in lots of different ways instead of being defined by one relationship. So just understanding that about somebody and knowing what you're getting into, you can get better at not trying to mold them to be a different way. Right. Yeah. And so would you say that the more that you unapologetically honor these things in your chart, the more you attract relationships that you really want? Totally. The more that you're able to give yourself permission to be yourself and exist in your own correct frequency, it becomes easier to allow other people to be themselves. And when you have that orientation towards the world, you get to have a totally different type of relationship where it's not about obligation and trying to mold each other into what you think each other should be, but it's two individuals who are supporting each other in becoming the most authentic version of themselves. Beautiful. So, so would you say that from a human design perspective, that's like the definition of love or the definition of a relationship? There's a quote that's coming up where it was by Ra, who's the founder of human design. I think it's like, love is when you allow somebody to be themselves and they allow you to be yourself. Anything else is torture. Um, so I guess, yeah. <laughs> oh, please say that one more time. <laughs> love is when you allow somebody to be themselves and they allow you to be yourself. Anything else is torture. So Ooh, I don't know if I might've butchered that quote, but that's the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you did, it sounds perfect. What a radical perspective, you know, especially coming from the generation's before us that were all about sacrifice and still it's still something that's fine in our generation of thinking like if you don't sacrifice your needs for me then you don't really love me then you're selfish totally so I just love that like this is bringing this radical perspective of I get to live my truth and I get to and you get to live your truth and we just get to coexist and accept each other's truth yeah it really sheds a lot of light on things when you see the mechanics and see without blame that this is just who somebody is it makes things go a lot more smoothly. So good. So on that note, is there such thing as compatibility in human design? People ask this all the time because the mind really wants to figure it out and figure out like, oh, if I'm this type, then who is my exact soulmate based on all of these things? But it's really not about that. So there are definitely, there's something called the connection chart. So you can overlap two charts and 
there are certain things that you can see in that overlapping of charts where you can see, oh, this is how these people are similar. This is how they're different. This is where they might be attracted to each other. This might be a strong relationship in these ways, or this relationship might have less glue holding it together, but none of it's right or wrong. It's just a matter of what feels correct to you. So it's not about oh, I need to be looking for these characteristics. There's something called electromagnetics that people tend to get obsessed with. So when you have one half of a channel and somebody else has the other half, you both bring the two gates that create a full channel. Um, people get really, really into those and get excited. Like, oh, our chart has seven electromagnetic connections. That's so exciting. Like we connect in so many ways. And it's not really about that. Like you can have a really powerful relationship with a lot of them. You can also have a really meaningful, significant relationship without any of them. You don't need them. So there are just so many different flavors of relationships. And in order to know what relationships correct for you, it's all about being connected to your strategy and authority. So there is like, there can be a certain benefit to being with somebody who's similar to you in a certain way. There can also be a certain attraction towards somebody who's very different. So I'm in a type for type relationship right now. We're both emotional manifestors and that's a trip. And I wouldn't necessarily say that that's better or worse than being in a cross type relationship, but it's definitely something that can be helpful to know about. So for instance, if you as a manifesting generator were in a relationship, either friendship or romantic with a projector, just understanding that difference that they might need more time for rest and that not expecting them to keep up with you. Yeah. I mean, my business partner, Taylor, she's a projector and yeah, I mean, for her working hard is very different than for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was joking how, you know, like there's times when, and we really openly express it to each other where sometimes I'll just have to say, like, I'm noticing that I'm getting resentful of you because I'm, I, I'm up until 2am working and you're not, but but I also know that your level of working hard is different because you get tired quite more quicklier than I do. Totally. And to have that level of openness and communication around it where you can notice it and name the impact that it has or what is you're making it mean and then not place blame just to understand that mechanical difference can be so helpful. Yeah. It's kind of reminding me of the erotic blueprints. Yeah. Of Yeah. Of everybody having a different like flavor of what they like in sex and that just understanding yours and under understanding the other person's is all you need and, and being willing to learn and, and, and give each other like the, yeah, the type of receiving that they like. Yeah. And it's interesting because you can see certain differences in relationships where all you can really do is surrender because it's never going to be another way. So there are certain things that can create so much tension in relationship if you don't know what's happening. And then once you bring light to it, you can learn how to navigate it or step away from it. But certain things, so if you have one partner who's emotional and one partner who's open emotional, the emotional partner is naturally going to have an impact on the open emotional partner's emotions. So knowing when the open emotional partner needs to take space and to not take that personally and to not get into this pattern that sometimes happens with the open center and the defined emotional center where the emotional person is having a feeling and emotion and then the open one amplifies it and then it revs the emotional one up even more you can kind of like see that pattern of oh this is just mechanically what happens with emotions between us so how do we then 
handle this and to not take it personally that this is what happens. Right. So as opposed to saying you need to change, I need to change. It's more, what do we do about this? Yeah. As opposed to saying like, you're too emotional or like, it's your fault that your emotions impact me. It's like, no, no, it's not your fault. It's just mechanics. It's just what's there. So we can accept each other and figure out how to navigate this more harmoniously. (laughs) Yeah. That's so good. That's kind of like when, when I'm feeling really emotional and I haven't slept or taken a walk, it's just as simple as like, well, if I just had taken that walk, then I wouldn't feel so emotional. You know, it's just thinking about it as like, when you say it's just mechanics, I just think about us being bodies and how we need oil. Like just like a car needs some oiling and changing of the tires. We need that too. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're, what you're talking about kind of reminds me of attachment styles. And I'm curious if human design and attachment styles have any correlation or, or any like parallels. So there's no clear answer to that. Definitely. If you're doing a deep dive into a chart, there are certain things that can point to certain attachment styles in different ways, but it's kind of a similar thing with ADHD, like how ADHD shows up in so many different ways in charts. Like for some people, it's an open route. For some people, it's a defined route or an open head. It's the similar thing for attachment styles. So like, let's say somebody has an anxious attachment style. I do. Um, So like one of the ways that that can show up is the open spleen. So the spleen, if you have the center open, it's all about health, instinct, and intuition. And having it open, you might feel this natural kind of nervousness around like health, instinct, intuition, and being around somebody with a defined spleen just feels so good. So there can just be this mechanical feeling of, oh, this person has a defined spleen. It feels so safe to be around them. I get kind of anxious when like they go farther away. Um, So that's a way that it can show up. I mean, avoidant, the open emotional center can kind of lead to avoidant sometimes. They're also- Like me, like I I have the avoidant attachment style and you see on my chart, like all these things that- Yeah. Yeah, that show that. And it's interesting because we like to like label it anxious, avoidant, bad, but there are just things in somebody's chart that might point to- this person needs more connection or less connection. So if somebody is single definition, very individual, has an open emotional center, there are just so many factors that can make somebody less drawn to relationship. And then what about people that like you, you said like when someone's gone, that anxiety comes up, like what is there to do in that spot? So that's something that's been super interesting for me because I, so I have a lot of openness in my design. So it's not just the open spleen. There's also, I have an open G center and the open G center is all about love identity and direction. And mine is completely open. So there's something that feels really good for me about being around somebody who has that filled. It's like this borrowed sense of identity and direction. So with the combination of the spleen and the G center and also my ego center is open. So being around somebody with a defined ego gives me this borrowed sense of confidence. So when I was earlier on in my kind of like deconditioning experiment, that showed up a lot in my relationship with my partner who has a defined spleen, G center and ego. And I did feel this kind of like anxious attachment. And the more that I have really come into myself, I'm also single definition manifester, very deeply individual. 
And the more that I move through life as myself, I realized that I actually really, really need and love my space. And I didn't know that about myself. I always thought that I just had this anxious quality where I need a lot of connection in relationships and have since realized, oh, like my partner is a touring musician and I like that. I like that he goes away. It's like a structure that works really well for me because then I get to have my space and I'm a third line. So bonds made and broken. So it is something that can kind of shift because sometimes the attachment style is actually just the conditioning. Right. Yeah. So what you're saying is that the more that you honored your truth, the less you felt that anxiety when your partner was gone. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. there are just so many different things that lead to that. Right. No, but I just like, I can still relate because you mentioned that something in my chart was around having difficulty with honesty, right? Yeah. And so as you know, that's what I'm all about. And mm -hmm. the more that I express my truth in the beginning in a relationship, the less anxious I felt around them and avoided. Totally. Yeah. Because I could fully feel like myself and feel free because I wasn't, I wasn't taking away my own freedom by taking away my, my voice and expression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's super interesting. So I want to hear like for each type, what, what each one needs, like that, that typical magazine article of like, if you love <laughs> this, this is what you should do. So let's, let's break down each one and see, and, and, and hear a little brief tips on what to do if you love a certain type. So with generators, it can be very helpful to ask them yes or no questions so they have the opportunity to respond and also learn to honor their responses, even if it's different from what you think you want it to be. So if you have a generator partner and you say, hey, can you help me with the dishes? And their sacral goes, mm-mm to respect that, <laughs> even if it doesn't make sense, even if you wish that it were different. And with bigger things too. So if they're responding to moving and you're a no to it, to not try and change them or to try and find that middle ground, but to really honor what they're responding to, even if you wish that it were different. So with projectors, projectors really need to feel recognized and invited. So if you have a projector partner, really making sure that you are seeing them and inviting them in. And it can be a really interesting thing in dynamics because projectors have this tendency sometimes when they're in their conditioning to offer a lot of unsolicited guidance. So it can be hard to really change the dynamic of a relationship. I know for me, both of my parents are projectors. And for most of my childhood, it was all of this unsolicited advice that I didn't want. So now it's like flipping the script and actually coming to them and recognizing them and allowing their guidance in, allowing myself to receive that actually they do have some valuable guidance for me when I ask for it. So it is a shift. So manifestors, as I was kind of saying earlier, need a ton of freedom in relationships. And just like manifestors need to practice informing, letting their loved ones know what they're about to do, manifestors like to be informed. So if you have a manifestor, just keep them in the loop, let them know what's going on. And also in terms of communicating with a manifestor, we really do not like being told to do things or even asked to do things, but it can feel bizarre, but just informing that there is something that they could do if they choose to take action. So it can feel kind of like passive aggressive communication to say, oh, there are dishes in the sink. But actually for a manifester, it's like that gives them the opportunity to then initiate. And it feels weird, but just energetically 
manifestors have this thing going on, or at least a lot of us, where you tell me to do something and instantly I'm angry and want to do the opposite. So just knowing that, knowing that, yeah, this is kind of annoying, but <laughs> this is how we have a better relationship. And reflectors just really, one, seeing them and really recognizing what a gift it is to have a reflector in your life and asking them to share their awareness because that's so awesome to have a reflector and also just honoring their sensitivity to place. So to, if they're not happy somewhere to know that that's something that really is a huge priority. Wow. That was amazing. Such a clear spitfire. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was really, really valuable. And what I was thinking too, as you were saying, that is, is just the importance of communication. Like you were saying, because each type has also its own way of making decisions, right? Well, it's not based on type. A type can have different authorities, but every right, human so, has a different yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the different authority. So, mm-hmm. so every authority has a different way of making a decision. Yeah. So that can be helpful to know in relationships. If you have somebody, like if you're a parent and you have sacral authority, so you, you know things in the moment, you just get this immediate gut response let's say like a parent with sacral authority had kids who were emotional, they need time to feel into things. Or if you're coaching someone or just anybody in your life, it can be helpful to notice that difference of, oh, because it's correct for me to make decisions in the moment and trust my gut, that doesn't mean it's correct for everybody. And if somebody says that they don't know in the moment, I shouldn't try and tell them, oh, of course, you know, because, because I always know in the moment, but to know that they have their own process and that it takes them time and to honor that emotional process and giving emotional people time to feel into things, to not put them under pressure to get back to you immediately. That can be very helpful if you love an emotional person. So good. Yeah. Especially if you need to make decisions together, like buying a new house or moving somewhere. And I definitely, as I'm emotional, it is so helpful for me to have sacral and splenic friends around when it comes to the decisions that aren't that significant because they can just make those decisions. Like, oh, where do we go for lunch? Spleen says here. Great. Let's go there. I don't have clarity on that. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah. Because I, you know, there's, there's sometimes where I'll feel guilty for being so clear on where I want to go or what I want to do. And and feel like I'm not considering anyone else, but some people, they don't get triggered by that. Like, whereas maybe I'll get triggered, but some people just want to be told or some people just don't care about the little things so much. Yeah. And ultimately it is kind of a reframe knowing that you are so much more empowering to those in your life when you are honoring what you're a yes to and a no to, because that's when you are really in your satisfaction and in this frequency that just feels so good to be around Versus if somebody says, hey, do you want to do this? And you're a no to it and you do it anyways, then you're going to be frustrated. And that's less fun than if you were to find something that you were a yes to. Yeah, that's so true. Something else that I had to learn was, you know, with the whole commitment phobia thing is that there's something with manifesting generators that's like you you say yes to something without really fooling it fully feeling into it. And then you realize it was a no and then you're stuck there. And then, you know, and so that would kind of happen in relationships where I would dive in really fast and then I'd be like, actually, no, I don't, I don't want, I don't want this. And it was just chaos. Whereas yeah. if, I, if I had really gone slower and really listened to myself, I could have avoided. Yeah. Manifesting generators tend to have a very hard time slowing down. Um, and especially, I believe you have gate 29 as your personality son. So that's the gate of saying yes. 
So this is this incredible gift of being able to give this full body yes to something without knowing where it's going to take you. But it can also bring this challenge of this tendency to say yes to too much. Or with the open root center, it's like this urgency to say yes to things very quickly. So even though you do get these sacral yeses, to make sure that you're not making promises. So to really honor that your sacral yes, your gut yes, speaks for that moment, it doesn't mean make a promise that then you may or may not have the willpower and the desire to follow through with. I'm just saying, yeah. Ah, so much approval. So I know that there's a big theme in human design around slowing down. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me more about that. And I'd love to hear from a perspective of relationships and love and intimacy. So for most charts, there is a theme that it would serve you to be more patient. Um, That tends to be one of the biggest themes when I look at any chart and it shows up in different ways, but when it comes to relationships also, so even though they're only half the population has their emotional center filled in. Only half the population has this personal authority where they need to ride out their emotional wave and wait for clarity before making decisions. Most relationships are emotionally defined. So what that means is that when you overlap any two charts, chances are the emotional center is gonna be defined. So that relationship as an entity is emotionally defined, which means that there's no truth in the now. So even if you are two sacral generators, who are used to, in lots of different areas of your life, just, oh, I'm a yes to that, I'm a no to that. Uh, When it comes to your relationship, it takes time to really feel into what is resonant. And that makes sense because when you're in a relationship, like your your hormones are haywire and you're completely full of like an emotional roller coaster. So that totally makes sense looking at it that way. Love that. Is there any place in your chart, in, in the chart that has to do with sex? Well, the sacral center has to do with sex in a very physiological way. And the emotional center also really has to do with sex and passion and desire. Yeah, what are the different ways that that shows up on on someone's chart? I think what's more interesting is that there are different streams of sexuality. So you can see based on different circuitry what somebody might be into sexually. So if you have somebody who has a lot of collective abstract, especially emotional circuitry. So there's one channel called the channel of recognition, another called the channel of transitoriness, but this stream tends to be all about desire and all about collecting different experiences for the sake of experience. So people who have these channels, especially the channel of transitoriness, they have this capacity to enter into a sexual experience purely for the sake of the experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be an ongoing bond. It can just be, yeah, let's try this. And then that was perfect. Awesome. Moving on. And then people who have more tribal circuitry, 10 sexuality is different. It's more about support, the bargain. It's more what you think of when you look at relationships, kind of like the stereotypical tribal mold. So tribal sexuality, there is kind of this flavor of a bargain to it. So it's like, oh, well, I did this and now we do this. And it's interesting because there's something that's shamed about that. It's like, oh, they're like sex shouldn't be transactional. But to them, it's just very natural. It's like second nature to be like, oh, well, I drove all day. Um, so so how about we do this now? Um, so it's interesting. And that is kind of like more traditional, more based on bonding and like 
building this agreement, building this relationship with kind of like different roles. And then individual circuitry is just all about passion and romance. So that's the theme and how individuals tend to relate to sex. But it's interesting also because you have sacral, well, generators, and then you have non-sacral types. And if you're non-sacral, that sex drive is inconsistent in a certain way. It's less of a physical need. So it can be interesting to be a non-sacral type and to learn about that and to realize, oh, there's actually nothing wrong with having an inconsistent sex drive. And like the emotional center is about sex also. So it's like these people can still be sexual. There are lots of different qualities. Nobody's, well, some people might be totally asexual, but yeah, it just shows up differently for different people. That's so interesting because then, you know, if you have someone like you just said that their sex drive is inconsistent and they're dating someone who sex isn't necessarily emotional for them and they want to go explore with someone else or actually like a better example is like if someone has sex and, and it's more of an emotional thing for them and someone doesn't have that attachment, then it's, it's hard to understand. Oh, wow. How could you want to have sex with someone else? It means that you don't love me or it means that you might stop loving me. But yeah, what you're can, saying is that it's not necessarily the case. It's just that different people associate sex with different things. Yeah, it can be hard to see that, especially, yeah, if you are somebody who has a lot of tribal circuitry and to you, you don't have any collective abstract circuitry, it would seem totally crazy that somebody would want to just go have sex with somebody random. Like, how could you possibly do that? But to them, that's actually part of their trip. So right. yeah, that's so interesting. Is there... From a human design perspective, is there anything on like humans not being monogamous naturally or hum- humans sexually needing to have different partners or is it purely like everybody's different? There, I mean, you can dive deep into different theories around this, but ultimately it is learning how to connect to your body and honor your strategy and authority and communicate around that. <laughs> right. I love that because then it's like, who cares if we're meant to be monogamous or not? Like, just listen to yourself and what you want and what you need. So good. I think it's, I, I personally think it's so important for people to understand because it just opens up for so much room for communication and understanding and takes out the struggle, the suffering, right? Like, like you said, it really just takes out the struggle and the suffering of relating to somebody and living life the way that you want to live. Yeah, it really gives so much acceptance or it at least starts it. It doesn't mean that once you see the mechanics, you're immediately going to accept your partner as who they are and it's not going to be challenging or triggering for you in any way. Um, but it is kind of the first step in bringing acceptance to what is. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for giving us all of this really beautiful, useful information on human design and relationships. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Seems like we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to like overwhelm people with too much information, but I would love to um, give you an opportunity to talk about what you do and what you offer. So if anyone listening wants to reach out to Brie and work with her, you know where to find her. Amazing. So I offer human design readings and integration sessions. So I offer individual readings and I also offer partnership readings and readings for children if you want to understand how to raise your child according to their design. I also, I work for Jovian Archive and My Body Graph. So that is the official library of primary source human design materials. So I very much come at it from this source perspective. So 
that's what you're getting from me. I do kind of add in um, like different desire embodiment work, um, art, yoga, it all kind of comes together, but I try to do so while maintaining the original source frequency. Very cool. In the description of the episode, I'll put in your Instagram. Is that the best way to read Yeah, it? that's great. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey you, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Commitment Phobe. If you like what you heard, make sure to share with your friends, your lovers, your ex-lovers, anyone that you think could benefit from having a conversation like this one. And it would be super helpful if you subscribed and left a five-star rating on iTunes to make sure that this podcast gets spread around to as many listeners as possible and we can start changing the conversation that we have around intimacy and relationships. If you want to find out more information about what I do as a women's coach and some of my other projects that I'm working on, you can find my information in the bio of this episode or you can reach out to me directly on Instagram and shoot me any questions that you have. See you next time.